Amen. Amen. Let's go right to the text this morning. Luke chapter 11, verses 33 to 53, and read it, and I'll kind of explain some things as we go through. We're picking up where we left off last week. Alfredo did a fantastic job of uh, challenging us to remember that the finger of God is writing a new story on our hearts. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Today, we're going to pick up with that same theme and go a little deeper with it. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. (laughs) Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. When they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee, he was, these guys are rascals, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and he reclined at the table. Interestingly enough, when they had meals together, they didn't sit in chairs, they literally leaned down on one arm, they, on their less dominant arm, and they ate with their dominant hand, so they reclined, that's why it says reclined. So it's kind of interesting, I'm hoping there's pillows there uh, as that happened. But the Pharisee, the rascal, was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Not a bad request, all things considered. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. I mean, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, darkness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. The first of a series of woes, and a (laughs) a woe is not a great word. You know, when I think of the word woe as a boy growing up, the oldest of three boys, you know what I think of when I hear the word woe? I think of my name being spoken by my parents, first name, middle name, last name, all in, all in one very stern breath. Tobin Eugene Wilson, you come here right now. To me, to me that's a woe, right? I mean, I am seriously on thin ice. So I don't know if that works for you, but that's, that's what I hear. I hear my dad or my mom, you know, woeing me. Woe to you, Pharisees, you rascals, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. So they're doing the right thing on the outside. But you neglect justice and the love of God. Their heart's not right. There's darkness inside. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Isn't that interesting? 
he commends them here for the tithing, but then he goes and says, the action is great, but you need some heart surgery. A little bit of darkness. Another woe, Tobin Eugene Wilson. Pharisees, you rascals, you are that because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, the pomp and circumstance, the red carpet treatment. Third woe, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. They're walking dead. One of the experts in the law He wised up, understood what was happening, and answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Duh. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens, laws, expectations they can hardly carry. And yet you yourselves won't lift one finger to help out. You know, that kind of person, personality. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Can you help? I'm getting a coffee over here. Woe to you, rascals, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. Yeah, they killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I'll send them prophets and apostles, teachers of truth, really, to work on a little heart surgery, some of whom you will kill and others you'll just persecute. It's interesting to me, prophets weren't dearly loved then, so they're not dearly loved today either. It's just the human scenario, right? Therefore, this is kind of harsh, therefore this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation, you'll be held responsible for it all. Ouch. Burn. He's not done yet. Woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the rascals and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions. I picture this as Death by questions. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Death by a million questions. Waiting, just waiting to catch him in something he might say. Is that the reading of God's word? I hope so, because if you're not depressed right now, That is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Now what I'm going to do this morning is I'm not going to focus on the woes the way they're written. I'm going to flip the woes and look at them as we make our way through the text this morning. I'm going to look at them as ways in which we actively engage and act out the text. 
Does that make sense? So that's where we are headed. Let's pray together and we'll dig in for a few moments and discover what it means to be the light. Your scriptures are always humbling and bewildering, sometimes perplexing. How do we bridge the gap from then to now? What is the principle, God, that you have for us? It's different every day. It's like turning a gem with 70 different angles for light to reflect off of. And each story as we turn the gem says something new to us each week, each time we read it. So we enter into this text with that level of expectation to turn the gem, to see it afresh and anew for the first time. Holy Spirit, come and do that. Transform the words into a changed life so that the world may see you in action. In your name we pray, amen. Pure light casts no shadow. Pure light casts no shadow. There's a shadow from the matchstick, but there's no shadow from the purity of the flame. This blew me away when I saw this, and I had to Google search. How does this happen? And here's what I read. The flame does not cast a shadow because the flame is the source of its own light. I think that has amazing implications for us as Christian people. Asking God's Spirit, Jesus, to enter into the darkness of our soul and to shine light into those places of darkness. Jesus, similarly, is the source of his own light. Jesus casts no shadow when he enters our soul. This light in this image is demanding because it it reveals darkness. Behind the flame that casts no shadow, there is no darkness. But I know there's darkness in me, and there's darkness in each of us here. So when we say yes to allowing the Spirit of God, it's Jesus' own light source, to enter into our soul, (laughs) light is demanding because it reveals those dark places inside of each of us. But looking at this image, we also learn that light is also hopeful. While it's demanding, it's hopeful. It reveals grace. It reveals mercy. It reveals forgiveness. It allows us to flourish again. And this isn't a bad message, being on the eve of Ash Wednesday and entering into a season of Lent. Walter Brueggemann says this, there is a God of demand ready to be a God of grace. Not just hard demand, not just easy grace, but grace and demand. You hear the difference? Not just hard demand, not just easy grace, but the healthy paradox of two held intention. Grace and demand are required in and through Lent.
Because that's the way all healthy relationships work, right? Ought to. Sadie, if I can single you out and ask you a question. When you and your husband are in a conversation at, at home, do you get back at him with words or do you just sign and trick him so he doesn't know what you're actually saying? <laughs> I see what's happening here. Yeah. That wasn't required, but again, thank you for your honest story. I think today's text, if you look at it in its total, offers us a a nice visual in how we might go and be the light. A guy wrote a book a number of years ago. His name is Simon Sinek. You may have seen him on TED Talks. He wrote a book, uh, slipping me now, Uh, Start With Why. There it is. Start with why. Start with why. And from that book, he he created what he calls a golden circle. And I've included it right there for you. Thanks, guys. Well done. I'd like to give us a little model out of this text that helps us learn how to go be the light. Now, the first person that's really on it this morning is going to say, that's not a golden circle, there's three circles. The response is, it's actually one circle. All three of these work together to provide us with the golden circle. It's all of this combined. Kind of like the Trinity. All right? Let's start with the inner circle. Why? Why ought we go be the light? Back to Alfredo last week. The finger of God is writing a new story in your life. And it's always happening. If we allow it. You know, when we surrender and we confess and we receive forgiveness, that's part of the new story being rewritten. We have a new identity in Jesus Christ. When we surrender our lives to the authority of God in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, no longer am I, Tobin Eugene Wilson, son of Stan and Lily Wilson, while I am that, the priority now shifts. Because now I'm Tobin Eugene Wilson, friend of God. God likes to hang out with me. It's hard for me to get it. Why be the light? God's in the work of writing a new story in your life. We've got a new identity. Son of God, child of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone, if, if anyone, are you in anyone? Are you in anyone back there? If anyone be in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new has arrived. The new is here. It's our baptismal identity. We go down in the water as an old person with the old nature. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
That was a wonderful gaffe. We go down in the water with our old nature and we come up out of the water in our new nature, soaked by grace, child of God. Right? God's writing a new story in your life. It's not a one and done. It's a lifetime work in progress. I don't know about you, but I am happy about that. Paul says in the, to the church in Ephesus, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Great text. We translate the, the Greek word poema as workmanship, but you know what it really means? You're God's poetry. Not only is God writing a new story in your life with his finger, not only are you receiving a new identity, you are actually becoming poetry to God. God is writing poetry about you. God is artisting you. God is that in love with you that you've become an artwork for God. That's why we go be the light. It's all about what God is doing, writing a new story, giving us a new identity, using us as men and women and a community, a movement called poems to show the world a different way to live. Does that excite you? It excites me. Thank you. Because that's what's happening. The old is gone, the new has come. It can only happen through some significant heart surgery. I was at a conference about a month ago and we were trying to write personal mission statements or identity statements and mine boiled down, because I, I just, I'm a doer guy, you know, you know this about me, right? So here's how I roll. I got a list of things I'm gonna do and when I check them off and I'm done, I don't take time to celebrate. This drives my wife crazy. I don't really take time to celebrate, why? Because I got another list, <laughs> you know what I mean? I got more, you know, great, now, okay, now I'm back up here, this is awesome, but you know what, after a while, goodness gracious, I'm out of juice. So we're sitting in this conference, you know, and I'm, I'm in one of these moments, these contemplative moments or reflective moments, and I'm surveying my whole life, the good and bad, and I realize that the very great thing about me is also my shadow, you know, the fact that this is how I'm wired is also my darkness, <laughs> right? So my light is also my dark. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, how do, I, how do I get out of this dynamic? And based on this verse, literally had a, an epiphany. We are God's poetry. You know, it was almost, it wasn't inaudible, but it was like the Spirit of God said, Tobin, Eugene Wilson, but not like my parents would say it. I like hanging out with you. We should do that more often. And being true to my darkness, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great, God, but as soon as I get this list done, man, I got, I got expectations. So that's the first circle, why be the light? 
God's writing a new story in every one of us. It's cool. So the second circle of the golden circle is the middle one. The middle circle answers, how will we be the light? How will we be the light? Probably nothing new for us here other than surrendering to Christ's light and authority in our life where we allow the demand of God to reveal to us our shadows. Will you do that with me this Lenten season? Will you allow the light of God in Jesus Christ to enter into your spiritual soul and spirit and reveal your shadows? But I'm not going to let you hang there because that would be horribly dark. And it's not what the gospel's all about. Similarly, as you learn about your shadows, would you then also allow the hope of God to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy in those noticings of darkness. Will you do that with me this Lent? Right? Requires a tremendous amount of courage, self-awareness, and honest conversations. And if you're not too far along, I encourage you to join us in about 40 minutes, 35 minutes, in the Trinity Center. Uh, Trisha McCrary Rhodes is going to talk about the soul at rest and get involved in a life group where you can put yourself in a place to have your darkness revealed and the light refresh it and relieve it and let it go. This is an important move and it's very spiritual. Because change is not what we do before God accepts us. Catch this. Change or transformation is what happens when we accept God into the deepest places and darkest places of our soul. And there's some courage that needs to be happening in that place. Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. A hill that cannot be hidden. So in the same way, let your light shine before all people that they may see your good deeds and give praise to the Creator in heaven. So we've looked at the why, be the light. The how, We will be the light. The third circle, the what circle. What will we do to be the light? And this is where I took the woes and I turned the negative into a positive. Because these other things have happened now, we endeavor to be generous to the poor. We endeavor to wrestle with the nuancing between the justice of God exhibited in the Sermon on the Mount and the rule of law in our current day and wrestle with those two 
things held in juxtaposition. Because we love God and we're humble and we're truly free and our goal and desire is to make peace and to open the doors to all people. Last weekend I went, I went to a workshop. Uh, I went to a workshop on the Enneagram. How many of you know what the Enneagram is? Hold them up a little higher. Okay, good, about a third. So I went to learn more about the Enneagram. I've been in the Enneagram for a couple of years, just want to learn more and more, and I went to hear a gal named Suzanne Stabile, who's one of about four or five, six folks that are really big into this. And while a lot of amazing things were said, something really captured my imagination, I want to tell you the story. She said that there's this amazing moment in the life of a human being between the, the moment they're born, so it happens really early on in life, The moment they're born and the first time they come to the realization that they need to do something either positively or negatively to elicit a response based on that expectation by a parent or, in this case, pappy, grandpa, to get a smile for the camera or to be shushed to go to sleep. You know what I'm talking about? There's this moment in the life of that innocent, open door, perfectly naive, little human being where they're still free from all kinds of expectations, either good expectations, smile for the camera, or time to go to sleep, where that doesn't happen. And then she said this, blew me away, I'm still thinking about it. She says it's exactly in that place where there's no expectations that Jesus Christ desires to enter into our lives and reveal himself to us afresh and anew. So this kept me thinking because as a grandpa of a 15-month-old, I look back as my, in my career as a parent and probably spent more time shushing, right, than creating a lot of fun memories. And now I get to redeem myself <laughs> because I don't have to shush not anymore. I almost said shush no more. I don't have to shush hardly anymore. It's not in my job description. I'm sure I'll do it out of habit. But every time Cora comes over, man, all I'm about, and I've been doing this since the beginning, I actually have been trying to not say no, or to, to not, not say no. I've been trying to never tell her no. Now I hear what you grumbled. My strategy has been when she's doing something I don't think is going to keep her alive very long. I'm bigger than her still, so I can go over and I can pick her up and move her and distract her with something that I want her to be distracted by, even if it's something as simple as my car keys, right? 
I didn't have to say no. I just got to, because I'm bigger, pick her up and, hey, let's, Cora, let's play over here with this. You want to read a book? She doesn't like books. And most of the time, this works, although there are occasions when we have a grandpa-granddaughter moment of fail. Like Friday, she wasn't feeling well. We ran out of diapers. I had to go buy diapers. I thought I bought the right size. I did. I thought, I, I'm looking at everything. Okay, I think this is it. I go home. I'm, th- I'm pretty proud of myself. I got pouches that she loves. Where were those when we were having kids? And I got diapers. I go back home. She has a... She has a moment. I'm all happy. I got new diapers. I, whoa. Put the new diaper on. And it's not very much later, another hour later, and the aroma returns. And I'm like, what is happening here? I go, and it's everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere. Okay, so I got to clean it up. So far, nobody needs to know about this, just between me and Cora and God. And then about an hour before her mom came to pick her up, blowout number three. (laughs) But before I could get to her, she got on a rocking horse that we just were given. Totally true. And now it's really, now it really is everywhere. And I can't get out of this thing. So I do the best I can, and there's no way to salvage her tiny little stretchy pants. And this is, if you can believe it, this is the first time that Cora came without a spare change of clothes, right? So we had a, it was kind of a tough day for Poppy, although she was still smiling when she left. What's that got to do with this? I'm not sure. (laughs) Other than the light of God, the pure light of God casts no shadows. There's a saying that people will understand what they hear People will begin to believe what they say, and people will become what they actually do. So if I'm lucky today, at best, you will have understood what I've said. But that's not very deep into the transformation process. I mean, you might understand it. If you understand any of these three, any of that, then I, it was a good day for me. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is what can you say out loud to another person because when you're able to do that, you now potentially believe that. And when we actually believe something, we're going to want to act accordingly. So that when we actually are generous to the poor, or practice God's justice, or we're humble, right? Or we're self-controlled. We have the opportunity to be the salt and light and the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. But it'll never happen if you only understand what I'm saying. It might happen a little bit if you're able to repeat it to someone else to the extent that you begin to believe it. 
It will only, only ever happen if we begin to act accordingly. So as we enter into Lent, go, be the light. Let's pray. God of grace, God of demand. Not hard demand, not easy grace. Simply, grace and demand. Shine the light in our darkness. Reveal our expectations and tendencies, shortcomings, short failings, short fallings. Most importantly, may we receive the gift of grace that you offer in the moment. It is a profound transformation if we allow it to happen. May it be so. In your name, amen. As we look at this table today, I would like to remind you that, to remind all of us, by the way, that this is a table of grace and a table of demand, too. Because uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, 